glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, stand with me if you would please as we honor the reading of God's Word, if you're able. Galatians chapter 3, we'll go ahead and begin reading in verse 18 where we left off last week. It's connected to the fact that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promise, the Abrahamic covenant of a seed, not seeds, but seed there in verse 16. So let's pick up there in verse 18. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Verse 19, which is where we want to begin our thoughts tonight. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept up, uh, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, We are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. This chapter begin laying out by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Which is it? And he's going to do the same thing all the way through this chapter. He's still making the same point. Are we justified by the works of faith, by our ability to perform God's requirements, or by the hearing of faith, by believing what God has promised? And uh, is it confidence in a promise-keeping God or confidence in a, a, a faithful performance in my flesh? And uh, really, if you want to know, by the time we're done with Galatians, the emphasis is flesh or spirit, the Holy Spirit of God or the flesh, your natural man able to perform righteousness, or does it take the work of the Spirit of God to give you new life? And does it take the work of the Spirit of God to empower a godly life and, of course, we know the answer. It's not by might, not by, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, which means our part is faith. We complicate things. We really do. In our flesh, we complicate. Man complicates salvation, number one. A salvation is not complicated. It is simple. It's, it's just difficult on our pride, but it's not complicated. Spiritual growth is not complicated. Spiritual victory is not complicated. It is faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that faith will have a lot of outcomes in our life. But if any time you're stumped in your Christian life, just always go back and say, am I trusting the Lord as I should? Because the the Christian life begins by faith, it continues by faith, and it ends by faith. The just shall live by faith. So we'll focus in on these verses, verses 19 through 26 tonight, and give you three things about the law. The question is asked in verse 19, wherefore then serveth the law? So the, the, the whole concept of the law has come up because the Galatians are going back to the law. They're looking back to the law as something to marry themselves to, something to bind themselves to 
in regard to how they should live out their lives as believers in Christ. And Paul is making the point, no, you are not made righteous by keeping the law. In fact, the law was given for a purpose. It has served its purpose once you've been brought to Christ. So it'd be like crossing a bridge. You say, you know, where I want to get is on the other side of that river. Well, there's a bridge there to get you from this side to that side. And as soon as you cross it and you're over where you need to be, you say, you know what, I need to go back across the bridge. No, the bridge served its purpose. Now go on down the trail, go on down the path, but to cross back over the bridge would be counterproductive. The law was implemented, and we'll see this tonight. Uh, The law was not until Moses. There was no written law. The law that's being referred to here specifically is the law of Moses. The law that that is given, the 600 plus commandments that is summed up in 10 commandments, that's summed up in two commandments, and they're good commandments, but the fact of the matter is, you and I do not find the guidance for how to Christian, live the Christian life by marrying ourselves to the law of Moses. That's not it. We are, we are married to the person of Jesus Christ and to every command he gives us through his word. He can use the law to communicate his mind, no doubt, but the fact of the matter is, is that when we go back to that, what we're actually saying is we don't trust that Christ is alive enough to govern my life in a very effective way. I've got to go back to a written document and discern and decipher that for myself and I'll do it in my power rather than trusting the Lord Jesus Christ to communicate his mind. Let me ask you something. Do you really believe that the Christian's life could be summed up only in Ten Commandments? The Lord Jesus Christ will give you more than Ten Commandments every day. Remember when the rich ring Euler said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. What was his answer? Which? Which ones? <laughs> Well, if we're going to do right, which ones should we obey? All of them. And to do any less is disobedience and makes us a sinner. And so tonight, Paul's made the point that justification doesn't come by the law. And he used the Abrahamic covenant to show that. He said, look, God promised Abraham that in him would all the families of the earth be blessed before the law. 430 years before the law, and God didn't say, if you'll keep this law, your children can have the inheritance. No, he made Abraham an unconditional promise. Abraham believed God and it was counted him for righteousness. So Paul goes all the way back there to Abraham and said, the Abrahamic covenant was given. That's where the Jewish nation began. And God said that through Abraham and his descendants, through his seed, not descendants, seed, would all the families of the earth be blessed makes the point that the seed that's referred to is Jesus Christ in particular. And we know how the seed of the woman is the the, the same seed that's spoken of here, and it is Jesus Christ. And so it's very interesting, as we mentioned last week, to study the covenants in the Bible and how they are all fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, All the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And so uh, the point was made that it's through faith that we are justified. Well, then the question has to be, well, if the law doesn't justify you, then what's it for? If God didn't give the law as a stepping stone to heaven, then what is it about? Why the law? Logical question. It's almost like Paul is operating like an attorney and he knows what's coming next. I've just told you the law can't justify you. If you were to try to keep the Ten Commandments, you're not going to be justified by it. Well, then why is it there? Was, did God just give it for no reason? The, the inherent understanding we would have is God gave the law, so we could learn how to be righteous and make ourselves righteous. But that's not right. (laughs) That's not why he gave it. And so he's going to get into the purpose of the law tonight. By the way, this is key for us. It's very important for us to understand. If you're not going to get caught up in a religion that wants to take you back under the law, 
it's important to understand the purpose of the law. We might get as far as saying, well, the law doesn't... A lot of people know that. The law doesn't save you. But that's all they know. Keeping the law doesn't save you. Well, what does it do then? Well, it does the opposite. <laughs> it does the opposite. And it is, in this text, referred to as a, a schoolmaster to teach you something, to bring you to a very clear conclusion. So let's consider it tonight. The first thing we'll see in verses 19 and 20 is Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks of the addition of the law. And that's how it's framed, the addition of the law. He says, verse 19, wherefore then serveth the law? And then he goes to answer his own question. It was added. Now, what does he say? It was added, meaning there was a point when there wasn't the law. It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to uh, whom the promise was made. You want, to, you want to define the dispensation of the law? Here you go. It was given by Moses. That will be talked about in the next verse. By the hand of a mediator. That mediator was Moses. He was a mediator between the nation of Israel and God. He hand-delivered the law to them. Given by the hand of a mediator. And it was in place until the seed should come. God, you know what, you know what uh, God is through Paul showing? The larger picture, the program that God had in place before Moses was ever born, and he gave a promise to Abraham that in his seed should all the families of the earth be blessed. And because of transgressions, you know what the law did? It proved who the seed was not. It obviously was not Isaac. It obviously was not Jacob. It obviously was not Esau. It obviously was not Judah. It wasn't even Joseph. It wasn't David. All of them broke the law. Did they not? And so the Bible says the the law was added because of transgressions. You know what God was proving? He's not the seed. He's not the seed. You're not the seed. The nation of Israel itself is not the seed. And you know how he proved it? By the law. By the time Jesus comes, you know what? There are a lot of people saying, we need a Savior. We, uh, We need a Savior. We need someone to redeem us. You know why? Because they had utterly failed. God had said, if you'll, God had made some tremendous promises to the nation of Israel. If you will go in to the, the land of Canaan and you will simply obey my commandments, I will defeat every foe and you can have the land forever and dwell there. But if you disobey me, I'm going to scatter you to the ends of the earth. Now help me here. Which happened? They got scattered. You know what that tells us? They disobeyed. Now God knew they would. They were disobeying before he gave the law. We understand? I'll give some illustrations, hopefully, in a moment that might help us. But Paul speaks of the addition of the law, and he says, Wherefore then serve the law? It was added. After the promise was given, it was added till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. And what he's referring to here is when God gave the law to Moses, and the Bible says that he did so by the hand of angels. I don't understand all of that, but I know that angels were involved in delivering the law of God to Moses. Moses was that mediator. How many of you remember? We, we did, I'm not going to take the time to write down the text and turn there tonight. We didn't do that. But the Bible talks about when God spoke to the nation of Israel out of Mount Sinai, what did they tell Moses to tell God? I believe uh, Romans deals with this. Uh, what did they tell Moses to tell God? Anybody remember? Absolutely. Now, why would you do that? If you're good with God, why not have a face-to-face? You know, he's proving they already had animosity toward God. The Bible says Moses had to put a veil on his face. He got so close to God, he had to put on his veil, a veil on his face so they could bear to be around him. He came forth shining and he scared them. You know what? They were afraid of God. You know when you're afraid of somebody that is an authority? 
especially God's authority. The, the Bible says Mount Sinai was smoking. There was fire and there was a, there was all that, uh, uh, was on a smoke, I believe is the way it's described, because the presence of God was there and the people said, we want nothing to do with that. He spoke to them audibly and they said, never again. If God wants to speak to us, just what Jim and Jeff said, tell Moses and he can tell us. That's what he's referencing here. God gave the law by the hand of a mediator. Why? Because there were already transgressions. While Moses was getting the law, they were building a golden calf. And so the Bible also speaks in Romans that without law, sin is not imputed. So God added the law so sin can be imputed. So what does that mean? There was no sin before the law? No, there was plenty of sin before the law. But you cannot pin sin on someone until you have a law. I'll give you an illustration. Out here we have folks that we allow to park in the parking lot. And we do. And we talk with the neighbors and so forth. But in the wintertime, we need a plow to come in. Sometimes I have to get neighbors say, can you move your car and so forth. How many of you know... And sometimes they're not mindful. Sometimes neighbors are putting their cars there and should be more mindful and thoughtful that our parking lot needs plowed. And I'm not trying to get you upset. The neighbors are making an illustration. But let's say we go and tell the neighbors, you can't park in our parking lot in the wintertime at all. And they keep doing it. And you would call that a transgression, a trespass, right? But if I wanted to call a tow truck and say, tow that away and charge them, you know what? No good. We have to pay the tow bill. If I want to charge them for having their car towed off for their transgression, I have to put a sign up that says, if you park here between these hours and this time, you will be towed at your expense. We have to actually put something in writing that's a law. The transgression's already there, but you know what the sign does? It pins it on the transgressor. That sign told you, and now we know you knew what not to do. Now we can prosecute if we want to. I have no desire to do that, but the fact of the matter is that's how that works. Well, there was sin. There was transgression before the law. And so you know what man would have been convinced of? We're the promised seed to Abraham. Look at us how good we're doing. Remember the rich young ruler. Let's bring him up again. You know what he thought he was? I'm the seed. You know what Jesus did? He used the law on him. He used the law lawfully. Many people read the story of the rich young ruler and think Jesus told him you can work your way to heaven. No, he didn't. He told him just the opposite. The man said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, keep the commandments. He said, which? Honor thy... By the way, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't say uh, one of them was the Ten Commandments and a couple of the others were not. He just he threw at him three or four commandments and the boy said, well, I've done that from my youth. What else? He said, well, let's just do this. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Was there anything sinful about what Jesus told him to do? Would it have been wrong to sell everything he had? Give what he had to the poor? No, that's absolutely right. The man's refusal to obey the law of Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate lawgiver. You want to reveal about him? What commandment was he primarily violating, this young man? The first and great one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy... Here he had the Lord his God right in front of him telling him, go sell what you have, follow me. And he said, no. I love my money more than I love Jesus. He was an idolater. You know what Jesus did? He used the law on him to prove you're not the seed. You're not the chosen seed that Abraham was to- promised about. Amen? You're not it because you're a law violator. So the addition of the law tells us a few things about it. Number one, the law was given for a distinct period of time. There was a time when it wasn't. But one of the favorite stories I, I read in my Bible is the story of Joseph. Sometimes we make an excuse about sin, about, well, I didn't know. Uh, we have people today who are saved. They're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. They have a Bible in their hand. They attend a church where the Bible is preached. And then sometimes we act like we don't know what's right and wrong. 
I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. There was no written scripture at that time. There was no scripture. There was not really, as far as we understand, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, we do know the Lord was with Joseph. But when Joseph was given the opportunity to commit adultery, uh, a fornication, adultery with Potiphar's wife, he said, how can I do this and sin against God? How do you know a sin against God? Because God put the law in his heart. He couldn't turn over to Exodus and say, thou shalt not commit adultery. It wasn't in his, he didn't have a Bible. But he knew it was a sin. So before law, there was sin, and yet the law was given that the sin might be imputed to the transgressors. That's what's meant here. It was given for a distinct, distinct period of time. The Bible tells us what that period of time was. It was given in Galatians 3. It was given by Moses, the mediator. So 430 years after the Abrahamic covenant was given, the law was given through the hand of Moses until the seed should come. The Bible says Jesus Christ was uh, made of a woman, made... Under the law. He was still during the dispensation of law. How many of us know? Do we know the distinct time when the dispensation of law came to an end? When God quit dealing with man through law and said, now your responsibility is to trust my son or perish. When that curtain rent in that temple, it was done. When Jesus said, it is finished, it's done. It is finished. The law has now, and by the way, it still, the law still serves, it is a good purpose. That's why it's still in our Bibles. It had served its purpose. So it was given for a distinct period of time to serve a distinct purpose. It was given through a distinct process by the hand of a mediator proving there was transgressions. And that's what is being pointed out here. And so then he asked the question, verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? So if the law doesn't give salvation, it does not impart the blessing Is it in opposition to the promise of Abraham? No, absolutely not. It is in fulfillment of that. It is God's purpose to bring about what he promised to Abraham. And he'll explain that. So now we move forward to the application of the law. The addition of the law, verses 19 and 20. The application of the law, verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God. God forbid. God will not contradict himself. He's not going to promise something to Abraham and then undo his promise. I think we dealt with that last week. So here's what I'm going to do for you, Abraham. I'll make of you a great nation. Those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. And then you shall all families of the earth be blessed. And after that promise, after Abraham's dead and gone, God said, you know, I changed my mind. I'll go ahead and do that for you if you keep the first great commandment and the second that's like unto it and the ten and the six hundred and so many odd more that go with it. If you do that, then I'll make all the, I'll bless all the nations through you. How many of you have met people make promises like that? You, you know, I'll do this. We'll sell it to you for this. Oh, I forgot. This, this, and this. Now you're going to have to pay a little bit more. I wouldn't do business with anybody like that. So are the promises of God against, is the law against the promises of God? No, God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. He said if it were possible that the law could have given life, what Paul is proving is that was never God's intention. Never God's intention for the law to give life or righteousness would have been by the law. Man would have worked himself to God. God gave the law enough time where if there was somebody who was able to perform it, they would have. But no one did. And so then verse 22, but the scripture hath done what? hath concluded all under sin. Isn't that what God was doing all along? Before the law was given, how many men were sinners? All. But after the law is given, we can prove that all are sinners. 
You can take God's law to anybody on the street, and if they have a half ounce of honesty in them, you can prove to them you're a sinner. How many of us know it's wrong to lie about your neighbor? Of course it is. How many of this room have done it? How many of you in your lifetime have lied about another person to get yourself out of trouble? I'm guessing we're at 100% on that one. If you've ever grown up from infancy to childhood, you've done it. At some point in time, you lied about somebody else to get yourself out of trouble. We've all done that. That's just one commandment. All you have to, how, many, how many have always won? And I've had people say, oh, yes. I'm going to go, man, you are in worse trouble. <laughs> Honor thy father and thy mother. You've always honored your father and your mother. I don't know, Jeff and I, I think it was you and I were on a visit a few weeks ago. I think it was you and I where you asked the guy, have you ever stolen? No, I don't, I don't think I have. Well, that's good. So you've always honored and obeyed your parents. He's like, oh, got to say no on that one. You see why the law was given? God crafted it in such a way that even the offspring of Abraham could not say we're worthy. You see, the promise made to Abraham was based on the righteousness of men or the righteousness of God. And God added the law afterward to prove, I'm not blessing you because you're worthy. I'm blessing you because I'm gracious. The law is what establishes grace. The law establishes we are not worthy of eternal life. We are not worthy because we're unrighteous. And so the law has proven and the scripture hath concluded. The written word of God hath concluded all under sin. Solomon wrote, there's not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Not one. That's all the way back in the Old Testament. Romans 3.23, we know only so well. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Psalms tells us there is none uh, that doeth do, uh, none righteous, not one. Romans 3 repeats that. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their mouth is an open sepulcher. God has concluded everyone is a transgressor. It's the law that establishes that truth, that we are all short of God's glory. There's not one of us as righteous as God. And the law was implemented to prove none of you is qualified to receive the blessing. I promised it in Abraham. You remember Abraham wanted Ishmael to get the blessing? And God said, no, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Abraham wanted to see the blessing come through natural means. Ishmael was the brainchild. Paul will use this later in Galatians. Ishmael was the brainchild of Sarah and Abraham. They were able with fleshly reasoning and fleshly natural outcomes to produce a son, but not through Sarah. What God was going to produce would require a miracle of God. It would require a miraculous conception of a child outside of natural boundaries proving I will not give you the inheritance by natural means. I'll do it by my own power. You know, regeneration is a miracle of God. You and I cannot be saved through natural means. And so the scripture hath concluded all under sin, but that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. God has intended all along to bring us to faith in his son knowing he would send Jesus Christ as fulfillment of his promise to Abraham, he implemented the law to bring us to the conclusion, that's who the seed is, I want you to trust him. So the law is fully intended to bring us to a specific point and place, and that is to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the law was given, uh, and it, 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 we see in the law the deficiency to save. It's not uh, capable, we saw that a couple of weeks ago, it's not capable of producing righteousness. Uh, so the application of the law reveals the deficiency of the law to save. It reveals the, it gives the determination of sin. Uh, it's concluded all under sin and it directs us 
to the Savior. Verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed, meaning under the law that which we had put our faith in was not there yet. Abraham had to look forward by faith, and God was saying, this is not it. You're, you know, he's killing self-confidence. We're shut up under the law. We're not able to perform. The reason there had to be sacrifices is because of sins. And so before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. And, of course, that is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 24. So perfectly sums up the purpose of the law. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Can you imagine somebody that has completed the 12th grade and they're ready to move on and get a little further education? Somebody says, what are you doing um, as far as your education is concerned? Are you going to study, uh, study this field or that field? They're like, well, I just signed up again down at the elementary school. You did what? You're going to teach? No, no, I'm actually going to start in kindergarten. And then I'm going to do first grade. And when I finish second grade, I'm going to go back to kindergarten again. Why? Oh, because that's, that's where it's at. No, you realize those were stepping stones to get you to graduate. The point was to get you a diploma. You got that. You don't need to go back to kindergarten. Don't forget what it taught you. But the point of kindergarten was so you could get yourself to 12th grade and get a diploma and go work and make a living someday. How about take your diploma and go get a job? Oh, no, no. No, I will be a perpetual student and go back to kindergarten over and over and over. You go back to the law, that's kind of like what it is. It's kind of a poor analogy. But the law is intended to get us to Jesus Christ, to say, I am covetous and I am an adulterer and I'm a murderer and I'm all these things. I am not worthy of God's blessings. Ah, yes. But Christ came and is none of those things. And it is to bring us to faith in him not only his sinless life, but his sacrifice in our place. We know that. But the purpose of the law was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Meaning, if you have come to faith in Christ, the law has served its purpose in your life. The law is not there to make you righteous. Christ is better, and his word is better than the law. They're not in conflict. He said, think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Do you notice how Christ handled the law? He took the law and he said, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not uh, commit adultery, but I say unto you, now that you're under grace, you can look at whatever you want to. Is that what grace does? But I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after hath committed adultery already in his heart. He said, let me define this. This is what the legality of the law says, but here's the spirit of the law. Boy, I tell you what, if reading the legal document didn't condemn you, listening to the word of Christ surely will. That was his point. You know what he's trying to say? None of you is right. He said to his, his disciples after giving the Sermon on the Mount, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, you'll not enter in. You know, it tells us a couple of things. Number one, their righteousness was not enough. They were sinners too. And they were fastidious keepers of the law. I mean, tithing on mint and cumin, anise and rue, Jesus said. But they omitted the weightier matters of the law, justice and righteousness. Mercy, these things. And so the point of the matter is, is that he was saying, you cannot, you are, you are short of God's glory. And the point was to bring them to him, to the living son of God and trust in him. That is the application of the law. It reveals the deficiency of the law to save 
It determines, it, it, it communicates the determination of sin. We're all under sin. And then it directs us to the Savior because we are insufficient to save ourselves. We are not looking to ourselves. We're looking to the seed that he promised that through that seed would all the nations of the earth be blessed. You know what? That promise has been fulfilled. Here we are Gentiles today blessed through Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. And thank God for the law. Bring us to the point where we know we are insufficient to make ourselves righteous through performance. We must trust the Lord to be merciful to us and grant us forgiveness through faith in Christ. And so the whole point is to bring us to faith in Christ. And the accomplishment of the law in verses 25 and 26. We saw the addition of the law in verses 19 and 20. The application of the law, 21 through 24. And then the accomplishment of it, verses 25 and 26. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under schoolmaster. It did its job. So I just, we just said, it has accomplished its purpose. It brought you to confidence or faith in the Son of God. Then he says, verse 26... For ye are all the children of God by what? I love this verse. It's so plain, so clear, and so simple. Ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Could there be any plainer scripture in our Bible? How do you become a child of God? There's a common teaching today. Everybody is God's child. That's not true. But you know who is God's child? Those who have, you say, I don't know if I'm a child of God. Answer this question. Do you trust Jesus Christ? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you believing on him? Is your confidence in him or in you? Do you believe Jesus Christ is who the word of God declares him to be? Do you believe he's the son of God? God says he is. He's proven it to us through scripture. And as such, believing in him, have you turned to him by faith to make you righteous? If so, guess what? John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Paul is writing to Galatians, some people that had gotten caught up and deceived, but he's reminding them, you are all children of God. Here's how. Not by performance of the legal code, but by faith in Christ Jesus. When one puts his confidence in who Jesus Christ is and his ability to save me, 2 Timothy 1.12, so sums it up. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul had entrusted Jesus Christ with making him righteous enough for God. So it boils down to, can Jesus save? Yes or no? That's why I said this morning, Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. If he's able to save to the uttermost, if I'm not saved to the uttermost, there's only one problem. I've not trusted him. But if I've trusted him... He's got it all the way. Do you know where assurance of salvation comes from? When you look at the word of God and realize that what God requires of you is not to perform, but to trust his son. Any performance comes out of that faith. Never do we perform out of faith in ourselves. You'll get depressed in a hurry. But we know that Jesus Christ, how many of us know his righteousness satisfies God? We're all short of God's glory. You know what God's glory is? His name is Jesus Christ. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but Jesus Christ came and he glorified the name of his Father through his perfect, sinless obedience all the way to the death of the cross and resurrection from the dead. And our confidence is in him. If you are trusting, you, you, I tell you, even as a saved person, if you get focused on, well, I'm, may I say this, obedience will give your heart assurance. First John teaches us that. Because you'll know I'm behaving as a child of God should. Lack of obedience will rob you of assurance. 
But if you get focused inwardly on yourself, on your ability to perform God's righteousness, you're going to get discouraged and doubtful pretty quick. What will give you the victory is to know what we talked about this morning. As I face a temptation, I have a Savior. And He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think. The temptations I have failed in, He never did. I'm going to rely on Him to, to give me the victory over that. And then Christ does what He does best. He is our, he's our living Savior. And what these folks have gone back to is a list instead of a living Savior. And that list was, I can perform. I can perform. I can do this. No, we cannot. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So the accomplishment of the law, it has fulfilled its purpose when it brings us to faith in Jesus Christ. And upon faith in Jesus Christ, we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And so Paul, having gone all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, reminds them, look at God's plan was to save Jew and Gentile all the way back there. It wasn't about the Jews being the authors of salvation. The law wasn't given to show this righteous people. Even get upset about this, but I'm going to tell you something. The Jewish people have never been righteous people. And they won't be until they accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Just like you and me. Righteousness is obtained by faith in one person, Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Oh, how clear it is that the law was not given as a means to obtain righteousness, but as a means to bring us to faith, not in ourselves and our ability to perform, not faith in the flesh, but faith in the Son of God, confidence in Him, His righteousness, His ability, His wisdom, His power to perform, His power to keep. You know why I believe in eternal salvation? Because it's about what Christ can do. He is able to save to the uttermost. And so we, we can rest our soul on that. Amen? The addition of the law, the application of the law, the accomplishment of the law is to bring us to confidence in the Savior. And then, of course, we are consecrated through faith in the Savior. Mm-hmm.